This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Dory 1, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back to episode 56. Before we get started with this today's episode, I just want to get, drop you guys a reminder that starting a few weeks ago on Fridays, we are now dropping solo episodes. They're between five to 10 minutes so far. Might go a little bit over, but right now we've done five to 10. If you have a question that you want me to answer, something about life, something about the military, something my perspective, being on the other side of these interviews every day, drop me a question. In the bottom of every one of the show notes, there is a link to submit a question. Drop it there. I'll go ahead and we will answer your questions using those solo episodes. And if we get quite a few, we'll do a whole solo episode on them. And uh, I know that those will be helpful because whenever one dad asks a question, there's usually 50 other, if not more, other dads having the same question. So if you have a question that's been on your heart wanting to ask me, start some fear, click the link, drop it in, and we'll go ahead and get that answered. Today's episode is with Aaron Hale. Aaron Hale brings a story that if you listen to this episode with kids, isn't necessarily going to be appropriate for a few points because he talks a little bit about how it was like being hit by the IED. And if you were in an Iraq or Afghanistan, this is going to hit extremely close because Aaron Hale survived being hit directly with an IED. He was in the EOD group with the U.S. Army. He brings an amazing story of resilience and just overall determination to continue to live. He brings an inspiring story of how he shows up as a dad on the other side of this. And I won't dive into a story because he tells it brilliantly and he really goes into the emotion, the depths, and he really tells the entire thing. So I want to honor him and let him be the voice of his own story there. I can say since recording this episode, I have purchased some EOD fudge and I can tell you my wife loves fudge. So I've bought a lot of fudge everywhere. I bought Mackinac fudge, which is up in Northern Michigan, which is like famous handmade fashion fudge. That really was never that great. I've really never liked any of the fudge that my wife convinced me we needed to buy, except when I bought EOD fudge. This fudge was absolutely like crack condensed into hard chocolate. I bought the peanut butter one because my wife's always loves peanut butter. But man, you, there was no way that you couldn't go through and polish off an entire row in one sitting because it was just like um, a magic explosion of flavor in your mouth. So if you have anybody in your life that likes fudge, it's a little bit pricey, but definitely worth every dollar. 
And if you have anybody in your life that is a thank you, these will be my definitely my go-to thank yous in the future for anybody that I need to really make sure that they know how important they are in my life because this EOD fudge was the real deal. So with that, I just want to dive right into this episode. And there's links to also that EOD fudge and Aaron's story. There's a great YouTube video on his website that also highlights his story and does it brilliantly. And then all of his products are also on his website. And I've linked his Instagram and Facebook down there as well. So all of that there is for you. But let's get started with today's episode with Aaron Hale. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Oh, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, I love the show and and I think you're doing a great uh, thing with it. And I'm looking forward to this take two because we had the internet try to stop this conversation from happening. So we are going to fight the internet and we are going to get through this today. <laughs> well, like you said uh, uh, earlier, I, I made a sacrifice to the internet gods and hopefully they were appeased. <laughs> I love it. Aaron, as I research your story, you have a very interesting story of how you reached today. Go ahead and unpack a little bit about what your family looks like and how you ended up getting where you are today. Well, it's a it's it's such a crazy story. I, I'm astounded that it was uh, me uh, that is kind of in the middle of this this uh, this wild story. Um, you know, I, I joined the military in. N- 1999 and I, I I absolutely knew my entire life uh, up until about a month month before I I uh, you know I gave the oath that I'd never be in the military uh, it just wasn't it wasn't in the plans and I didn't have any plans I had actually zero ambition zero goals I, I lived a pretty vanilla life not a whole lot of struggle not no hardship uh, you know, Midwest Ohio had a great upbringing, loved, a terrific family, and zero direction. Um, and you now, of course, I just was loving, loving life. But uh, you know, that kind of coasting catches up with you. Uh, it, it catches up with everybody at a certain point, and uh, it definitely caught up with me when I got to college. So uh, I got to college and I gained my freshman 50. Um, uh, I spent about three semesters not going to class. And eventually the, the school just said, you know, uh, don't come back. In fact, uh, it was kind of a mutual thing. I didn't know where my classes were. So that was easy not coming back. And, uh, but it was, it was really embarrassing because I, I was a, on academic uh, probation first and then an academic suspension, which means I wasn't allowed to go back to an a, uh, Ohio State uh, college for five years. And that's just, what a kick in the pants. Uh, I, was, I was that much of a slacker. That, you were labeled as like, you should just take a pause for five years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, state school, you know, and um, so... I uh, I got my act together. I lost lost the weight. I actually uh, moved out with my dad in California. Got a couple jobs. I was I was really working back towards you know not being such a you know aloof you know uh, you know guy. And um, 
I, I went from something like 230 pounds to two or to like 175 in about six months, just from eating right and walking everywhere, and you know, basically just eat, living better. But I still needed to make that you know tuition money back, and, and uh, that's when I realized that you know, living in California, I may never do that, just from cost of living. So I looked at other avenues, and in the military, just seemed like the right thing. I needed the discipline, I needed direction, and it, 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 of course, the military started out as as such a like a selfish endeavor. It was all about me and what the military could do for me. Uh, so I joined joined the Navy. I was going to be a chef. So I joined as a uh, uh, Navy cook. And I was going to do four years, get the GI Bill and get out. Of course, you know, 14 years later, uh, <laughs> I, my life was on a completely different path. But uh, in the Navy, I, I worked my way up. I found uh, responsibility, duty, you know, a sense of honor. Uh, I was uh, a sense of pride in what I was doing, and I quickly gained in rank and and more, more responsibilities. I worked my way in two years. I worked my way to uh, the 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 flag mess. Uh, I was cooking for the three star admiral, the commander of the U.S. Sixth Fleet in Gaeta, Italy, and I was I was cooking this incredible cuisine. I was in my off duty times. I was traveling around Europe. It was amazing. But uh, by two thousand four, I'd um, you know, we were, you know, full, you know, two wars were in full swing. And by this time I'd really gotten a taste for the military life and I really loved it. And I wanted to do something that was more direct. So when my time in Italy was up, they sent me to Rhode Island, but soon after, uh, being stationed in Rhode Island, I volunteered for, uh, uh, duty in Afghanistan, and I was I was I basically went from cooking for the admiral and his staff to cooking for something like five, six, seven hundred NATO ISAF troops. So I was cooking for soldiers, sailors, uh, airmen, Marines, and I was cooking for uh, Italians, Spanish, uh, Portuguese. Uh, it, you know, and it was completely different, but uh, equally. As a rewarding experience being on the battlefield, uh, and I still to this day I have connections, uh, friends I've made over there uh, during my first um, first deployment that talk about the the kind of stuff this this you know flag chef brought to you know the the, the army defac the army chow hall out in the in the sand. So I, I think I, I made an impression and I, I really loved it. But while I was there, I learned, I met some EOD technicians, explosive ordnance disposal, you know, military's bomb squad. And uh, within moments of learning what these guys did, I was, I was hooked. You know, the, the technical aspect, the, the, um, the tight-knit brotherhood, the the fact that they're 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 first responders that, that they get to save lives on the battlefield it was it's it was all it was just uh, it clicked in my mind uh, and uh, as soon as um, I could I I put in for a transfer uh, to to strike rates from EO or from culinary specialist to EOD the only problem was. Uh, 
my my job, my rank was undermanned. My, my the rank above me was overmanned. So they weren't going to let me out, and they weren't going to promote me. So when my time in Afghanistan was up, uh, my contract was also uh, up for renewal, and I let it expire. Went over to the army recruiter, handed him handed him my my you know my jacket. I said, you know, I want to go EOD. That's that's the only job I want. And they welcomed me in as a soldier. I got to keep my rank. I didn't go to basic training. I went to uh, like a gentleman's version, gentleman's course version of basic where you get all the uh, technical, you know, all the army knowledge without any of that indoctrination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bogwa stuff. Um, so basically, I guess they, 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 I was a sailor in an, or a, you know, a soldier's uh, uniform going, going through EOD school. But, uh, and of course, the uh, first sergeant at the EOD school really hated it when on our morning runs, I would sing Anchors Away. But uh, you know, I, 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 for a year, I trained up to be EOD. And soon after graduation, I... Uh, deployed to Iraq. Uh, not long after returning from Iraq, I deployed back to Afghanistan. This time I was in this 2011. I uh, was then, and by then, an uh, Army EOD team leader running my own uh, EOD team. Uh, we were busy. It, it was uh, one of those, those periods and one of those areas in Afghanistan where they were they're just, it, it was like, it's like playing that, that game on your, it comes on your, com, you know, your computer, Minesweeper. Mm-hmm. It's like everywhere. Uh, just, just pressure plates and your plastic jugs everywhere you step. Uh, so we, our team was working uh, overtime. Uh, we do post-blast analysis. Uh, we'd run on uh, rock clearance packages. We do tactical insertions, but, you know, with Chinooks. Uh, you name it for eight months, we were running. I, uh, about eight months into it, it was my, my time for a two week R and R back home. I got to see my, my son turn one, got to spend Thanksgiving with the family, got to see my, my dad, my son's grandfather dress up like Mickey mouse for his birthday, which knowing my dad is like a once in a lifetime thing. Mm-hmm. And it was a just a fantastic uh, last page in the photo album. Because when I got back, uh, I tossed my luggage into the back of our Jerv, you know, the, the armored truck we roll in, right on top of the robot. And our team, you know, my team, you know, started its way back out to our area of operation from the, the airfield. And in the convoy commander we were in, uh, along the way said EOD we've, we've got you know, an item you know I've got something uh, suspicious item on the side of the road reported by the uh, Afghan police uh, can you check it out well of course and we got right to work I tossed the, the luggage off the robot the robot out of the truck and of course it's a pressure plate with a jug uh, 9 volt battery like we've been seeing every single time out there uh, of course, we we also besides you know rendering safe, disposing of uh, the the these IEDs and UXOs, we also get we're like the CSI of the battlefield. 
So, you know, one of our jobs is to, you know, safely, if we can do it safely, get as much uh, evidence as we can off the battlefield so that it can be studied. So by the time we had this thing, the robot had it separated, I jumped out and, and, and made my approach to, to, you know, collect what evidence I could about 20 or 30 meters from the original uh, item, there was a secondary device that hadn't been detected and it detonated right, uh, right beside me. It tossed me in the air, sent me uh, onto my knees and elbows. I was still conscious, but the lights had gone out. Uh, and, you know, I thought for a moment that my, my uh, helmet had just gotten pushed over my, my face. And, you know, that's what was blocking my view. So, of course, did the functions check, right? Uh, wiggle the fingers and the toes, knees and elbows and all that. And everything seemed to be intact. So I reached up to you know, fix my helmet just to pat the top of my head and find out that the helmet wasn't even there. And that's when I thought, oh, no, this is bad. The army is going to want that back. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. uh, What goes through your head at certain times, what's been drilled into you, like uh, you don't want to fill out a flipple. (laughs) um, I don't want to do a field loss or have to pay for a helmet. My commander is going to jump down my throat. But, uh, yeah. Soon my team was dragging me back to uh, the safe area. Medics were running up from the cordon and uh, the medevac was on its way, you know, right from the airfield we just left. So uh, within 48 hours, I was back in uh, the United States. Uh, This time I was in Walter Reed and I was was trying to figure out uh, how to be, you know, how how to survive, how to, you know, come to grips with this this new life of mine as a blind person the the blast took both my eyes it cracked my skull so that i was i was actually leaking spinal fluid right out of my my nose and blowing out both my eardrums and it caused some some scarring some you know some burning you know, on my face but it virtually from the neck down was virtually untouched which is amazing. I don't know how they set this IED up as a pressure plate and then only hit me in the head, but um, thank goodness uh, we heels are, are very hard-headed. Couldn't have hit me in a better place. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, that's how I, uh, I got, got started down this road as a blind person. But, um, you know, at the beginning, it was, it was, it was right at... Right after I, the shock, first, of course, you want to read, and you don't even have time to think about you know, worrying you know, yourself, um, uh, you know, that being a victim or you know that 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 worry. You're just there's nurses and doctors and family members and you know, of course, admin admin people left and right uh, sign this, sign that, which I didn't even know what I was signing, but. Yeah, I had my family there, but it was so busy. It wasn't until, you know, maybe a week or two later when I finally was catching my breath. I had moments to myself and 
you know, I wasn't going in and out of, or out of surgery. And I was, the, the demons start creeping in. Uh, why me? What if? I was, I, was, I was feeling guilty, angry, embarrassed that I let this low-tech, uh, these, you know, these, these, these people fighting us are in flip-flops, you know, and man jammies. And, and I'm the, one of the, you know, we're, we're the most highly trained fighting force on the planet. How did this happen? Mm-hmm. How did I get, how did one get past me? So, you know, it was the training. It was my family. It just wouldn't let me feel sorry for myself. So um, I decided that if I was, I was going to be going to be a blind soldier, I was going to be the best damn blind soldier I could be. And I learned how to use the assistive technologies, you know, the cane, the, the, my talking, you know, my phone has a, the voiceover. So it, it does the text to speech, my computer, all those kind of things. Um, I started, as soon as I could get onto the internet, I started researching blind, you know, doing this internet search for blind plus outside, blind plus running, blind plus whatever. And I started finding that, you know, there's a, there was a blind guy, Eric Weinmayer, climbed Everest. He's the first and only uh, blind person to ever climb Mount Everest. I've heard his story. It's a powerful one of having a, uh, a solid ropes team. Was he the key to his, or the key to a lot of his success was having a solid ropes team around you, and those that team Absolutely. is the ones that you learned to, to to lean on in life. Yeah, well, you know, I uh, I've actually heard that that story quite a few times since uh, I sought him out and I climbed a mountain with him, and uh, I've been in speaking, you know, just speaking engagements with him. We're we're, we're now friends, and uh, yeah, he's definitely an inspiration. Um. You know, another blind veteran, um, uh, Lonnie Bedwell, is the first blind person to, uh, to kayak the, the Grand Canyon. And I saw him out, and I went kayaking. We, we did Class 3 Rapids in Montana uh, together. And I found, I started, you know, I, I quickly learned that it's, it's not about, um, you know, what we've lost, what we don't have. Uh, it's, it's about finding systems, new systems, new techniques, new tools, new ways. And of course, you like, like Eric talks about, uh, having rope teams. And I, I definitely, uh, um, I, 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 I use this you know, same metaphor as, as an EOD team, is that you know, the three-person three EOD team, at least in the Army, they're, they're used to the standards of three-person team. They're given... A, it's a, a quad con, you know, one of those big shipping containers full of tools, you know, from bomb suits to robots, power tools, hazmat kits, uh, you name it, from bullets to nuclear bombs. We have to uh, be the first responders. We've got to be prepared. We have to have all the tools that we might need. Um, and then that, that shipping container follows us out to... Uh, you know the the battlefield. And when we were when we were in Iraq, we you know or who should we right next to this thing? We then we'd have to pack our our uh, armored truck, which isn't quite as big, so we have to leave some tools out. But we cram every box under the seats and shelves and uh, fill it full of everything we might need. But of course, some tools have to stay behind. And then like Afghanistan, the goat trails. You know, we're on we're dismounted, we're on foot. 
And, you know, we got we to gotta decide what tools we're going to carry on our back when we, we go on, uh, on patrol. So we leave a lot of tools behind, but we still got to do the same job. And we still, still got to perform at our best. So we end up doing everything basically with a few bear charges of C4, a carabiner, and some rope. And I, that's just like life. Don't worry about the tools you, you, you left behind. Uh, focus on you know, finding new strategies. Focus on you know, the, you know, your environment, find what you can learn, how you can get creative and find a new way to attack uh, the same problems. You know, I, was, I began you know, running marathons, climbing mountains, whitewater kayaking, and speaking to groups across the country and telling the same message. And about three, almost four years after the bomb took my eyes, uh, I was just coming back from a speaking engagement and talking to, I was on the phone with uh, my new girlfriend, Michaela, who I'd, uh, we were childhood friends. And well, our parents were actually childhood friends. And um, we'd just been started up a conversation not too long ago, and I'd convinced her to come out from California to Florida, where I live, for a one-week vacation slash first date. And uh, she went home. I went on a speaking engagement. I was just off the plane and, and you know, dropping my bags back in my house when uh, I was feeling really fatigued and dizzy. I didn't know what's going on. So I told her I was going to lay down for a nap. I don't know how long it was till I, I woke up, but I, it was a, this splitting headache. In fact, that, that doesn't do it justice at all. I had, within minutes, I had to call 911 because I knew something was wrong. Um, of course, it was funny. Uh, uh, you're calling 911, and the operator says, state the nature of the emergency. And I say, ma'am, I've got a terrible headache. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but uh, she said, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad's the pain? And I said, uh, ma'am, I've never felt pain like this in my life. And I've literally been blown up before. She said, the ambulance is on its way. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, it turns out... Um, uh, bacterial meningitis had crept into those uh, skull cracks uh, in my sinuses that uh, that had been patched either hadn't been fully patched or uh, reopened and now I was fighting for my life all over again and whether it was the bacteria or the heavy heavy doses of antibiotics uh, it stole what was left of my hearing that the blast hadn't taken. And I was quickly going deaf. But Michaela came right back to my side. My mom came down from Ohio. My sister came to visit and they, they, uh, they were nursing me back to health. Um, that when the doctor broke the news to me and said, you're gonna, you're gonna be completely deaf. And I said, wait a second, you're, you're telling me that I'm gonna be totally blind and totally deaf. So I'm never going to have to pretend to pay attention ever again. <laughs> huh. There's a silver lining to everything. Uh, you know, uh, I got home and there was a chance 
that I would regain my hearing again uh, with the uh, with a couple of surgeries and cochlear implants. Um, but it would take over six months for you know first the 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 the, the illness to um, go away, you know, the the virus to clear, the bacteria to clear. Um, and then surgery on one side of my one ear and then, you know, tuning in and surgery on the other ear and tune that in. It was a very drawn out process. So for uh, six months, I was in, I was, I was, I was locked inside my body. Uh, I was, my whole world ended at my fingertips. Uh, I'd also uh, lost that inner ear sense of balance. So I couldn't even get on my, my treadmill. To you know, to, to 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 get into shape, to train. Um, I was literally, I was, I was just stuck sitting at the you know that that you know, like the the kitchen breakfast bar, mm-hmm. with nothing to do. It was it was isolating. It was scary. It was lonely. Uh, just thinking about it all over again. It's one of the most horrible uh, experiences in my life. Just being isolated like that. Um, but, uh, cause the Michaela, only sound you really have is your own thoughts at that point. What's that? The only sound you actually have are the thoughts you have in your head or the conversations you're having with your head, Yeah, which is the worst uh, person to have a conversation with usually. Cause it's the doom and gloom person that the world's going to come around and end around. It, I don't, I don't know. It's, I can, I could, I could send messages out. I could still talk, but it was like the whole world, uh, was shut off. I could when I say silent, I mean even that. Even the like you know the the, the jawbone conduction when you you can hear yourself eating like a tortilla chip inside your head, all of that gone, no sound, uh, and of course no no light. But I'd been used to that, but the, the combination, uh, it's terrifying and frustrating. It was awful. Um, Michaela had flown out just days after returning from our first date and she never left. She, she stayed there. She'd nurse me back to health. When my mom and my sister had to get back to their lives, she, she quit her job. She, she didn't even go back to her apartment to, to Sacramento to, to move out. She had her friends pack her up and they did like a road trip uh, to bring her, her stuff. And um, there's, there's Definitely easier ways to get a second date, but it was worth it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. uh, you know, she was my angel. She, she was the one who conceived of uh, you know writing every letter of every word that somebody you know somebody had to uh, convey to me in the palm of my hand, and that's how we we spoke to each other. She would write, and I would I would. Uh, speak back her and it was it that was tedious in its own right but it was the only alternative um what's funny now is that she still sometimes writes in the palm of my hand but it's secret messages like under the table or at a restaurant or something like your your son is eating with his uh, mouth open again (laughs) and and then I, i just pop out hey close your mouth in your chair but uh, uh, <laughs> could definitely come in handy. Um, but she is the one who got me through those the, the half a year 
uh, of isolation and healing time and learning how to, to, to hear again with the cochlear implants. Um, she definitely saved my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and together we decided that, you know, I, I've been, I've been preaching this whole, you know, don't worry about what you have, don't have and work on, you know, gratitude for the things you do have. And I decided that I wasn't going to feel sorry for myself. And, you know, the holidays were coming up and I love the holidays. Uh, we were going to have this, this epic, uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, we're going to invite friends, family, neighbors, you know, you name it. It was going to be huge. Even invited a few uh, EOD students from the schoolhouse, which we you know, we do. We turn that into a tradition every year. Yeah, you know, some you know, students, sometimes they want to save leave days or don't, you know, they, they get stranded at a school that's closed down for, for the holiday. So we invited a few over. And uh, from, like, I started, you uh, know, preparing for this this feast weeks in advance i started with uh, desserts because i knew i could freeze them and i was making cakes and pies and cookies and uh you know i fell back on my own skills of cooking which i could do just from muscle memory and i started making fudge and i would do batch after batch of fudge uh i was you know thoughts and then you know nuts and spices i'd even dump in a little little you know something from the liquor cabinet and you know i just experimenting i was having fun michaela said she saw something on my face she hadn't seen in in six months it was a smile but the fudge was piling up <laughs> so she she started uh sneaking it out the front door i'm saying i say sneaking like you got to be real stealthy around a blind deaf guy <laughs> yeah uh, but uh, she was giving away. Uh, friends and neighbors were coming back and just, they were saying, that was terrific. Uh, can we, we buy more? Uh, we've got a, you know, a baby shower or a you know, birthday or something coming up. So, well, you know, of course you may. And, and, and all of a sudden we started this business. Um, you know, we, we, I was, I was having, I was having fun. I was cooking um, and we were actually making a little money out of it. Uh, and, and what became of it was EOD or instead of explosive ordnance disposal, extraordinary delights. Uh, and now we've got this thriving business that, uh, we both get to work together on and it's a, it's out of the home office though. We've moved into a commercial kitchen. Uh, so I get to stay home uh, with, um, you know, now our three sons because Michaela uh, had a six-month-old uh, identical twin boys. And, well, she didn't have them at six months. She had them six months ago. No, but uh, uh, it's fantastic. We get to run a business and be close to our kids and have that that connection and life is is amazing uh, i just ran uh, on december 8th was my uh eighth alive day and to celebrate i uh ran the california international marathon which was is now my ninth uh, full marathon, and I, of course, with the infants, uh, I ran it without without a mile of training. <laughs> so, uh, at 42 years old, I'm still proving that I can do just about anything stupid. 
whether you're even if you didn't have all your your uh, your sights and senses, it still, it still happens. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's how we get we get to here uh, now. Um, you know, I get to be a stay-at-home dad, and um, I get to be creative in the kitchen, like I always love to do. And I'm an entrepreneur, which I never sought out to be, but mm-hmm. uh, it's an amazing learning experience. Well, there's a couple things in that story that I want to dive back into. And I'm a big believer that life happens for you. So, like, you can't prevent life from happening to you, but you can definitely figure out what you can do with it. You can always help someone. You can always get just be a friend to someone. Like, whatever you've gone through, there's someone else that needs to hear what you've gone through to help them. As a dad, how do you think all of this that's happened to you has helped you become a better dad? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, for one, um, I don't, I don't think of any uh, challenges as insurmountable, and I hope I, I, I'm able to teach that to my kids. Is that there's, there's always a way. Uh, there's, there's always a solution to the problem. Um, I mean, there's you, you, if you, I like how, um, I I heard it, was it uh, Dakota Meyer, you know, uh, said it, um, what was it? He said that until you can't change anything about it, you can't study, you can't train harder, you can't throw money at it, uh, you can't do it a different way, um, you don't, you don't have a problem. What, what, what problems do you have in your life? Those are, those are just inconveniences. And so mm-hmm. you can't change anything about it. You don't have a problem. So I just look at everything uh, as, as an opportunity. And that's definitely, I mean, I may have had it to an extent before the injuries, but it is definitely uh, uh, one of the top of my mind every single day after the injuries. And I hope I can teach that, uh, convey that to my sons. It definitely sounds like it, like the pieces of who you are today were there before. And I'm, I, I never was in Afghanistan or Iraq. So I'm always looking at it from the outside, but I've always kind of understood PTSD is like, you just experience a lot of life in a short amount of time. And it's mm-hmm. up to you to figure out how to use it. And it sounds like in your case, it really put a big pile of fertilizer on the seeds of earlier in life that just really needed to grow. And now you've almost become a better human being by actually losing the things that everybody else has. Well, we all become stronger because of our struggles. It's not despite them. It's because we work hard. You know, we we work out in the gym. We get str- our muscles get stronger. We study uh, in the library or study at school, and our brain gets stronger. Our mind uh, functions better. Uh, it's it's the same with all of our life struggles. The harder something you know, it's the, the harder we go through. You know, the things that we go through are harder. Uh, the more resilient we become, mm-hmm. and. People, people describe you know being resilient as as like a rubber band. You can get stretched and go under uh, through stress, and then your ability to to bounce back. Humans aren't aren't rubber bands. Every time 
we get stretched every time we uh, have you know give or given pressure or have to work harder at something. Uh, when we come back, we're not the same. We are stronger. Even a scar. I always like the analogy that a scar tissue, wherever you have it on the skin, actually heals two times stronger. Or even a broken bone. A broken bone will actually heal stronger than the bone was before it broke. Right. Um, no, it's a, it's a great analogy. And it's true. You know, we're forged by our, by our hardships. So mm-hmm. we shouldn't, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't avoid, you know, hard work. We shouldn't be afraid of a difficult road, a rocky road ahead of us. We should be encouraged by it. We should uh, not seek out trouble, but we should be encouraging the, the opportunity, be, you know, uh, uh, excited for the opportunities ahead. Another question I was thinking, um, let's tr- time travel back to those moments that you were in Walter Reed. Um, if you could leave a sticky note next to yourself back then from your point of view now, what words would you want to leave to someone else that may be in Walter Reed right now or maybe recently released that you want a piece of advice that they need that can fit on a sticky note? Keep your sense of humor. I mean... <laughs> that besides Michaela, I think it was it's been my, my sense of humor that has pulled me through uh, uh, some of the most difficult times. Um, you know, two weeks before I was injured, one of my fellow uh, teammates in my company was injured, uh, and this was while I was still on my R and R. So I was in the state, I was stateside when a fellow team leader was injured, and I was in DC. So I was one of the first guys to, to, to visit him. I was the first one. He, he was still in uh, the ICU in surgery. Uh, when I went to his room, the nurses wouldn't tell me uh, what was wrong with him, of course, because, you know, privilege. But uh, I went, they let me, you know, stop in his room, wait for him to come out of surgery. And um, the, uh, on the chair beside his bed, there was like a little, like a Wounded Warrior project. It was like a hoodie, some shorts, and one shoe. <laughs> okay, got it. Uh, so he wheels, he wheeled him in, and I don't know if he was loopy from the anesthetics or what, but he's just got this personality. He's like, hell, dude, what are you doing here? You know, this guy just lost a, a leg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, he's, he's just got the best attitude. And he, he's telling me about what he did, what happened to him. And he's like, hail, I, I kicked myself in the face. <laughs> so um, he's the one who was, was like, he, he could keep his sense of humor through probably one of the most scariest moments of, of his life. And I thought, I've got to remember that. And, and I ha- always have. Uh, I, we, 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 we spent uh, weeks together uh, in the same unit Walter Reed and we were back and forth just you know like we were still uh, in the shop joking about things but we I'm were sure also... he had a, he had a good few jokes when you ended up back there yourself I know I know you gotta you gotta be able to laugh at yourself you gotta be able to laugh at the situation and military members are usually pretty good at self-deprecating humor oh <laughs> yeah well uh, some of my my humor uh, is uh maybe a little bit abrasive if directed at others. <laughs> and that's why it's always good when it's safe and pointed back at yourself. Mm. Another question I was thinking, um, do you th- was there ever a point 
during your process of having this all happen that you were not giving yourself permission to live a life after this happened? Like that you were just kind of like, let's put this in neutral and I don't think I can take a step forward. Uh, you know, I have, I even tried that for a little while, uh, but it doesn't take, I'm I get bored really <laughs> fast. Even if, um, if, even if I didn't have the, the business, the, the kids who, you know, of course keep me busy and a wife who won't let me sit on my rear end too long. Uh, I don't think I could do that. It would just be, you know, I, I would get antsy. I need mm-hmm. to be doing doing something. I need to be challenging myself. I like that. It's uh, it's it's a little bit like that. There's like the natural part where you're just like, I'm just gonna give up my. I'm I'm not gonna give myself permission to live. Like I this somehow I'm being punished almost maybe. But then it also sounds like you had the right people in your life at the right time. And literally took your hand and walked you through the darkness and found some, not necessarily a literal light, but definitely found the light at the end of the tunnel for you to be able to step into a life that you never could have imagined. Well, the truth is, uh, I was married uh, during when I, when I was uh, when I had my injury when I sustained uh, the bomb blast, and it was not a healthy relationship. Uh, and, and the truth is, and, and I don't want to, it's the, the, the custody thing is still kind of under litigation. So I don't want to get too deep into it, but uh, uh, it was not a healthy relationship. And I couldn't, I couldn't, well, I could, frankly, I couldn't deploy to uh, anymore to escape the situation. So I had to face it. And the, the, the answer really was that I had to, get away from unhealthy people. And I had to be, you know, I had to make my life just about being around the right people. So, uh, I asked for a divorce. Uh, that was, and, and still that, that whole situation is probably, it definitely is the, the, the hardest, um, the most uh, terrible, uh, you know, thing I've ever gone through including the bomb blast and the, uh, uh, the meningitis, this, this divorce and separating myself from this person, um, is a very traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. As you think about your life now, and you've got, you got the chocolate business, you've got your kids, where do you see the legacy of Aaron Hale going? Well, the uh, the next thing is, of course, we want to grow the business as far as it can go. But of course, my legacy will be my my children. Uh, I want to be a, a terrific dad, and I want to raise uh, amazing, you know, little people. Uh, I want to teach them. Uh, frankly, I want to cram everything I've learned in the last forty so odd years into their heads right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, of course, there's a process, and you got to let them, got to learn. So I'm just trying to teach them how to, you know, have manners and be respectful and and just be good people. Did that wisdom come to you naturally, or because most military dads that I've found as I've started this podcast, they stay like there's a world where you would have stayed focused on your service, 
and only kept the questions in your head about like, why did this happen? Why did it matter? Why did I live and my friend died? These questions, and it all stays on the service and very few dads actually focus on trying to create really great adults. Was that mm. easy for you? Or was there some moment or story that kind of like woke you up to the, the possibility of what you have or the privilege that you have being called a dad? Well, like I say, uh, the, the, Every once in a while, I still get those, like I call them the demons that try to creep in. And, and, and I think about from time to time how hard it really is. And, and things can be, can be difficult. Things, you know, you know, uh, how much uh, I would love to be able to see my, my kids. You know, uh, how much I'd, I'd love to see my, my, my wife and my, my parents, my, my siblings. Um, how much I would love to be able to drive again. Because um, I, I always love being behind the wheel. It, you know, all these things. Be able to you know, go off, go hunting, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff like that. Um, but I don't, that's one of those things that, you know, I don't worry about what I can't do. I focus on what I can and I can, I'm here to hold, I can hold my children. I can have a tickle fight with my older son. I can, uh, we have story time each night where instead of reading to him, we listen to an audio book and we talk about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I find ways and focusing on what I can do and focusing on them rather than me. Uh, makes it makes life not just just bearable but wonderful I like that and what you're recognizing is that a lot of that stuff is nice to have but it it was almost a very abrupt season in your life that there was a season in my life where I had all of these things just like there's a season in every dad's life where you have poopy diapers and that season eventually ends and nothing you can do will bring back your kids' poopy diapers. It's gone. In your case, it's a little bit more um, connected to yourself, but this is just really a new season, a new challenge of your life. And someone walked by and took half your toolbox and now you got to figure out how to survive it on the island almost and, and, and be the best person you can be with what you've got left and to really take that to the next level of how do I make this knife that I have super sharp so that I can do more with it. <laughs> uh, I thought uh, uh, diffusing bombs was scary. Try uh, diffusing a poopy diaper uh, w- without looking. Yeah, that's almost like an own, like it's a little IED there. If it's like a little landmine, if you're not ca- careful with your hands, uh, especially if you got like, um, if it's one of those explosive ones that goes up the back of the onesie. Oh my gosh. Those are, and you're like, you, you, your wife probably comes home and, and she's like, he missed half the chest. <laughs> I don't, uh, just yesterday, uh, I don't know how, uh, Owen, uh, one of, one of my boys, uh, I don't know. He, it's like, he actually missed the diaper, but <laughs> it's like it came out straight backwards. I don't know how that happened. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's <laughs> just, I, I, I just, when, when that kind of stuff happens, I just, yeah, I laugh. It's another, yeah, I just look at it as another challenge. It's hilarious. And um, the whole time I'm cracking up uh, because uh, this, it, it's, sure, it smells, it's sticky, it's, it's gross, but it's wonderful. I'm a, I'm a, I get to be a real dad, you know? I get, I get to change diapers and I get to play with them. Uh, I get to, to feed them. Um, 
today, Owen fell asleep, you know, over my shoulder. And I, I heard a six month old snoring. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful sound. Mm-hmm. And it's one is probably because your, your head's not filled with a lot of noisy sounds to remember, or like overly noises like most people can hear now. So that sound, I'm sure, is a very strong memory even now of there'll be a time when your son's doing something you really don't want and your memory will go back to like, it was so much easier just when he was snoring on my shoulder. <laughs> well, I think every age poses uh, its own challenges. It does. Uh, We're not where yeah. my youngest has the terrible threes. It's uh, not terrible threes. It's trying threes. Like, She's just a straight pistol and uh, everything is her way or the highway. And she's going to burn the house down around us with anger and frustration. And uh, (laughs) multiple times today, I actually heard, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. And I'm hearing this from a three-year-old. So it's just like, nice. Just life. (laughs) What about there's a, a, your, your, uh, your story is very reminiscent to uh, a guy that I had in the podcast, Chris Keg. And he was also in Iraq, but he actually, I can't remember the exact situation, but his body just stopped working. Nothing, didn't have really anything related to uh, the war, but his body just stopped working and his everything below his uh, head, he was paralyzed. So he's been in a wheelchair and he owns a gym in Pennsylvania where he helps other people with disabilities try to just find ways to prove to the world, kind of like yourself, that you are capable of doing something. What kind of adventures do you go on with your kids that I can imagine you have a different set of adventures that you go on because your your skill sets are a little bit different. Have you? Th- How old is your oldest? Uh, he just turned nine in November. Yeah, so he's probably right at that age where he loves going out with dad on adventures. So what what does an adventure look like with Aaron Hale? Oh, we we travel a lot. We were recently in uh, New York City, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, he loves to fish. He's a, a uh, an incredible athlete. So you know, basketball, soccer, all the things that uh, uh, if I tried to play it would just be far too painful. <laughs> um, he's got a, an incredible arm. Um, I mean, the, the last time I played catch with him, we had those, uh, they were like tennis balls and the Velcro mitt. Velcro, yeah. And I would take both of the mitts and use them as shields. <laughs> I can imagine. And, That's definitely tricky. And, and I, I would get, I would, I would this, this little kid would just give me wilts. All right, that's enough. Yep, daddy's but, checked out. <laughs> we, uh, uh, Kim's a big fan of Jocko Willick's, uh, what's it called? Uh, Warrior, Warrior Kid. Kid. Yep. He loves them. And uh, he, he actually started working out with me in the mornings. So our adventures are to the garage uh, where he's, you know, he's maxing out on pull-ups and push-ups all the time. It's, I'm so proud of this kid. It's terrific. I could imagine there's a different dad out there that's gone through what you did who probably has an internal conversation that says that um, – like my son probably deserves having a full dad with, with all the senses. Do you ever get caught up into like, or does your, is your son like even know that there's a different way a dad can be, or is he like fully accepting of the way you show up? And like, he's not anything wishing like, Oh, I wish my dad could see like when you're playing catch, like, is there something that's going on in him that he has to deal with as well? Well, you know, he's never known me because it happened uh, just after he turned one. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's never known me as uh, a dad with eyes. 
but he definitely knows I tell him stories. Uh, you know, of course, the, the, the family don't tell him stories about when I was a kid, and I wish they wouldn't. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's definitely definitely knows that his dad has uh, disabilities, mm-hmm. but at the same time, he's he sees me doing these all these things. Uh, kayaking you know, hiking uh you know of course like i uh, just came back from that uh, the marathon these kind of things and i tell them you know, these you can do these things but they and you can see but you don't have to you know you can do these things if you're just you know, have enough creativity and imagination to, mm-hmm. to figure things out and you just have to be a problem solver i think the biggest riddle that's not actually a riddle but somehow for military dads it becomes a riddle that even if you're the average military dad kind of like me just did military service nothing really special about it come home started a family very a lot of times a military dad doesn't see themselves as a hero and then when we don't have we don't see ourselves as a hero especially when we come home to our kids like we have probably guilt inside we probably have issues that we're not dealing with and we don't accept that every day you walk through that door, whoever you are, at whatever stage of your personal growth, whatever your stage of dealing with life, your kids will always look at you as a hero. And that sounds like what your son is like. He knows that you are a different dad, but there's no part of him that doesn't look up to you as his hero for who he wants to be in life when he grows up. Um. I hope I'm giving him the best example uh, I can put forward. Uh, mm-hmm. And I hope uh, what I'm doing uh, gives him the best chance for success when he grows up. Mm-hmm. And if you, by just being there with him or even at the gym, I think that there's a lot just like doing that part together. I mean, for a nine-year-old or any kid this in this day and age of 2019 with the amount of odds going against us that society will eat healthy in the future – like having a good gym habit at nine and doing it with your dad and having that memory of, and bonding that there's a world where after you're gone, he may go to the gym to connect with his dad as a memory. Like he may feel closest to you when he's lifting weights. And that's a gift that most dads won't even really realize, but those core memories kind of like from the movie inside out, those core memories live on well past who we are and what we do with them every day. But it seems simple, but I'm I'm convinced that those little small things will be the things that the kids look back on to reconnect with you after you after we're gone from this earth. Well, I like I said, I uh, I enjoy spending time with them. I love spending time with my my sons, and I hope it gives him uh, it gives him a stronger interpersonal communication skills, you know, bonding skills, relationship skills with others. Just being able to spend time, you know, with his dad. I I didn't, you know, I did. My my folks were divorced, so I didn't get to spend as much time with my dad. And I didn't get to bond with him like I hope I am with my son. You mentioned Dakota Millar. He's mentioned on other podcasts that after he got divorced, he made a very quick realization that fifty percent of his kids' lives were just taken away. Mm-hmm. And that means that he has to be two times more impactful with every minute that he's there. And I mean, it's it's hard enough being a good dad when you have full custody. And then when you split it, 
you really have to go in with a stronger mindset that every moment counts, every memory counts. And the I often like to frame a child's life as you only get 18 summers with them. And if you're 50-50 custody, you only get nine. And that's just how, like, it's a very small number. Everybody can visualize 18 in their head. And you only get 18 summers with your kid to do something legendary and epic before they go out into the world. So you really, as a military dad, we really have to be on the ball to make sure we're, we're showing up to those moments because that's where the, the most dividends in life come from. Uh, Cameron uh, gets plenty of time with his dad, yeah, which is great. Uh, almost sometimes I think you know, both of us may almost want some time free from each other. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. We don't we don't do television. I gave it up, you know, about the same time I uh, got detonated. Um, uh, and so we, as a family, we decided that we don't need television. Uh, we don't do a whole lot of uh, internet. So you know, Michaela and I, you know, run the business from our computers. But uh, so, so Cameron really does have to learn how to be creative, spend his time wisely. You know, he does a lot of a lot of reading, a lot of art, uh, playing with his Legos and being creative, you know, building. And he, we, we actually spend a lot of time together in the kitchen because I'm always trying to come up with new recipes. And uh, he has, uh, like any kid. Uh, enormous sweet tooth <laughs> so we just have fun with it we, we just baked the walls for a gingerbread house uh, today so that'll be our next project is uh, construction your story of the kitchen and when your wife pointed out that you were smiling reminded me of uh, we used to be big uh, restaurant impossible fans and Robert Irvine when he was doing these kitchen remodels he'd always go in to redo the menu and whenever he'd make something really good he would start doing a dance <laughs> and he gave me the gift that when food's really good, it should make you want to dance. So every time in the kitchen when I make something good and I think it's good, which I'm almost surprised sometimes that I can pull it off, but sometimes I do. I'll my, me and uh, my youngest Lillian will start dancing in the kitchen, and uh, like that's like I want the kitchen to be some place where memories are made, not just where something comes from. And even when we're making pancakes, there's oftentimes in the morning we'll start dancing to a song that's on Alexa or something that. Um, that we, that's just fun time that is just a memory that we get to have together. I love it. That sounds great. And I, I, that's what I like. Even when you were talking about it, like the kitchen is overlooked as a tool to try to build a strong family. Like parents often think it's just a place where they need to be left alone so they can make dinner. But there's a whole world where the family can be integrated into preparing dinner and it can be a family event. Well, you know, my uh, my son, my oldest son, I don't know about the, the little ones just yet, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but uh, Cameron, uh, it, when he was a toddler, and maybe even still now, if he could be screaming his head off, uh, but music would just stop him in his tracks. Uh, I, uh, I've actually, I think I've got video of it uh, uh, turning on something, so turning on the music, just saying, telling Alexa to play something, and. He'll be screaming, and then a second later, he's doing that little toddler, like you know, butt squat, two thumb boogie thing. You know they do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's just you know, and, and even today, today, that's uh, he's like, Dad, I'm gonna go play some music in my room. Okay, go for it. And that's his go-to. 
you're probably like the one dad that would allow a drum set in the, in this boy's room. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't, maybe you feel the vibrations. But <laughs> <laughs> or, but and the now, neighbors coming by when they make a big noise and you're like, what's the noise? I don't hear anything. Yeah, now we got to uh, deal with him uh, playing music too loud because the nursery is just, just lived down the hall. Oh yeah, I can um, imagine. That's like um, trying to walk around an IED sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to just stuff his room with insulation. (laughs) Well, Aaron, I've absolutely loved this interview. It's been a well range of topics, and I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story because it was, it definitely made an impact on me. And it, uh, I know there's going to be dads out there that did serve in Iraq or Afghanistan, and it's going to be like a time capsule for them. And hearing how you ended up where you are today, I think that will give people hope. And I'm a big believer that if you have hope for your future, that you'll have a lot of power in the present to move forward. And that's what I believe your story is. So I appreciate you gifting that to us. I have one last question for you. If you were to give one last piece of parting advice for military dads out there, what would you want a military dad to hear? Well, I think I've, I've already said it. Is that it can't be about you. It's not your life. Once you're a dad, uh, you're just a supporting role. Yeah, it's all about those kids. It's about, it's about uh, their mother. Uh, it's you, you know. It's, if you think about it, uh, like the the, you know, the chain of command, uh, where you know really the, the the senior NCOs and the officers are there to support the team, so they can perform well on the battlefield. It may be I might have some semblance of rank in my own household but I'm just here to support those kids and make sure you know, they're doing and growing and being what they're supposed to be. I like that. And it's, I've, I like to phrase it as uh, that your kids are going to matter, but there's a certain point of your kids that they're going to leave. It's a guaranteed certainty that they're going to leave your life, but your wife will be there to the end. And a lot of times parents can almost put all of their efforts in their kids and forget to actually be married. And then when their kids leave, they're sleeping with a stranger that they don't know and their life ends up ending anyhow. So always got to keep it as it is not about you, but there are other things that you got to keep your attention towards. And your wife is that commitment to the very end. Well, she won't let me forget it either. (laughs) I like that as well. Well, um, eventually we're going to start going out on dates again. But uh, yeah, right now the infants, um, thank goodness, uh, mother-in-law is just down the road. So we do have a built-in babysitter. and We do get out from time to time. That's good. I'm sure and, there's probably a like, what did you do to me? How did this happen? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I have to remind her to, from time to time to, she wanted this. <laughs> yeah. You know, she'll go, your kids, and I'll say, remember when you said, when are you going to give me kids? Yeah. But, or uh, it's always it's just, amazing, it's especially, always- especially now that you've had multiple, there's a couple different things that happen. One, when the baby passes through, all the memories of pregnancy pass away. So the moment you get pregnant again, it's immediately like, what did you do to me? How did we think this was a good idea? And then the moment you hold it, you're like, oh, it's all good again. But then the baby, you go through the baby stage and poopy diapers and sleeping nights. And it's like, what the heck were we thinking when we thought this was a good idea to do this all over again? Because once they're older and like potty trained, you just forget all those 
long nights and different things. And then you hit the reset button and it's always a big, hard reset button. And <laughs> no one ever remembers that. And I commend you. You got lucky because you got two. I was often thinking like, man, if we would just had twins at any point, we could have just been the last of everything right away. We wouldn't have like when you get done, I don't know if you're done having kids, but the last diaper is going to be the last diaper. You don't have to worry about hitting it again. You just got to go through some uh, trenches of getting there, but. Yeah, I remember going into our uh, first ultrasound. And before I even sat into the, 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 the neighboring seat when she was in the exam table, before I'd even sat, sat down, uh, the, it felt like you know, they were already getting started and the ultrasound tech goes, oh, having twins, huh? What? <laughs> didn't didn't know no i didn't know we we'd been talking about having you know another child but you know it was it, you know, the discussion was uh, you know when when how soon after the first one uh, i was thinking months and maybe years not minutes <laughs> that's, that's a good story well aaron i really appreciate you uh taking the time to join us tonight i will make sure everybody has the, the links to your eod fudge at the in the show notes so if you want to Drop over to Aaron and support him and his wife and his family's business with getting some fudge. Uh, those will be in the show notes for you. And again, I appreciate you coming on tonight, Aaron. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for the uh, the patience and you know the technical uh, uh, difficulties. But I really appreciate I appreciate what you're doing on this podcast, and thanks for having me on. And and people can also follow us at EOD Confections on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks a lot. Awesome, and I'll make sure those are in the, in the show notes as well for a quick follow. That's a wrap, and thank you for listening to today's show, and I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet in iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home. <laughs>